Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. Dirk Nellens is a longtime facilitator and experimenter using human design for many years. Incorporating meditation, therapy, creativity, and the insights of Osho, he explores the system in a way that embodies love and uniqueness as a bridge to living consciously. Today we talk about his experience as a 4-6 reflector on the cross of the vessel of love, his early experience with the system, and his perspective on facilitating greater self-acceptance and compassion with ourselves and others. We hope you enjoy the conversation. So thanks for being with us, Dirk. We're really excited to get to talk to you. We got to enjoy the episode you did on Gaia and mm-hmm. thought that was such a, such a great format and introduction for people to get to interact with human design. So thanks for joining us. We usually like to find out in the beginning just about the sort of inception of your interaction with the system. So could you tell us a little bit about how and when you discovered human design and how that affected you? Where, where were you in life and how did it come to you? I was studying uh, social anthropology in the end of the 90s in London. And social anthropology was going into the direction of cognitive anthropology. So basically, it's looking at how are we wired at the core of who we are so that we end up you know, expressing ourselves socially and culturally and all the kind of stuff in certain ways. And I found that very interesting. Back in those days, I really thought uh, when I was just, I was still a university student and stuff, like I was 25 years old. So in those days, I really thought like, fuck, that, that's like a, 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 an understanding that promotes peace. Like if, if I understand that everybody has, so to speak, a wiring to represent themselves um, metaphysically, for example, then why should I be fighting over my metaphysical concept or my religious concept is bigger than or better than yours and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, you know, if we get that, that would be really promoting acceptance and, and, and the richness of cultural diversity and, and how, you know, we basically can nurture each other through that understanding and all the kind of stuff. And then a couple of years later, I ended up in Barcelona. I wanted to do a PhD in anthropology, but it never really happened. Back in those days, there was some people through Human Design Spain who had published an article in a magazine called like La Otra Barcelona, like the other Barcelona, which was like a little bit on, on, on more alternative stuff or on family constellations or meditation or whatever. And there was an article there on human design. And I went for a reading. And when I, no, actually the first time before going for a reading, I looked it up on the internet and I saw my chart and I was like, wow, that explains something about me that I've always kind of felt and never was able to put a finger on. Like I, I always felt like I was very, like, very much like everybody else and, and always an outsider at the same time. And then like for the first time when I saw my charts, like, wow, that, that kind of explains it a little bit. So I went for a reading and then that was very intriguing and I came out with a lot of questions and I started experimenting the best way I could. I don't know, just 
sitting in a sofa and seeing what the moon would do or stuff like that. You know, I was I had no idea what they were even really talking about, except for big, like the bigger stuff. You know, I came home and I was like, what? I'm not emotional. And I'm an emotional nutcase. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I can be really volatile in emotions and stuff. So, and, but I was dating a very emotional, a very emotionally defined person in those days. So that was really interesting that I was screaming and shouting and, <laughs> a little voice inside started to wake up and see it go like and this ain't you you know like wow really and then i started exploring the ego center a little bit more like i started getting more into centers and stuff mm -hmm. this was in february 2003 and in in october 2003 back in those days they were still offering I don't know if you can call them trainings or whatever, like there was no PHS, there was no rave psychology, there was hardly any, I don't think even Jovian Archive, I don't think in the corporation was even, I don't know if it was set up or not, but for sure, Channel 88, which was the first online teaching platform, Channel 88 wasn't there yet. And then uh, they were doing some kind of rave ABC, rave cartography training, I somehow I found the money to do the training. I had to paint the whole fabric in white for, for 10 days, like painting, painting, painting. So I gained some money and then I did the basic training in design and then it took off from there. And then in the beginning it was like pretty much on my own. And then finding a lot of information on Gene Keys, which was still Richard Rudd's site in those days. And, you know, he was still actually, I think, a student because he had just written you know, the book on circuitry and then the book on living your design and all that kind of stuff until he moved away from the whole RAS environment, so to speak. Yeah, it went on like this for many years, self-learning and all that kind of stuff until RAS started with the uh, rave psychology and PHS and all that kind of stuff. And I started getting really interested and I was like, no, no, I got to, like this has to in some way or another, I want to officialize more my training and so that I can get into those programs. So I kind of worked it out with him then. And thanks to Ilse Sendler also, uh, Richard, Randy Richmond was involved. There was a bunch of people involved. I mean, they were setting up these boards on standards and whatever. Uh -huh. And then in, uh, in 2008, there was this first human design scholarship so we had to make a video on what human design meant for us. And in those days, I was living in the Amazon. So I had access to great footage and, and all kinds of like fauna and flora. And then I made a movie on what human design meant to me. And I won the scholarship. So I had $10,000 in, in study material that I could kind of like use it as I wished. So then I continued my studies in rape psychology and family analysis and PHS. And I don't know what else, some stuff here and there. And at the same time, in 2005, I left to India for uh, about a year and a half. I went to live in Osho's commune, like in the Osho International Meditation Resort. So I, I lived there for a year and a half. And then I started exploring like things much more, ener like much more energetic stuff, like his, his meditations, his active meditations, a lot of primal work. Breath work, constellation work, uh, all, all kinds of energetic explorations that definitely 
enriched my understanding of my own design and the body graph and, and how I look at design and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this has been a little bit my journey. Yeah. And it took me a long time to do a reading. And like, I think the very first thing I started in February, 2003. And before I did a, a an analysis in uh, the first analysis, I think I did somewhere in October, 2009. And I'm, I'm still, she's still one of my best friends, this person. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it took, quite a long time to get, come to grips with all of this stuff. Yeah. You mentioned early on, I imagine that being a reflector, you had the training about following the moon and waiting through the moon cycle. And then you mentioned also starting to experiment with it, almost like going through the different centers to discover your own experience with it. How do you, I, I don't know how often you work with reflectors now, but what do you see as some of the most helpful things we can do to support reflectors in the beginning of the process, if there's something you could generalize about it? Because this, this sort of like wait a moon cycle is an interesting piece of guidance. Yeah, it is somehow. I really went about it in chunks. Like I got to know I was a reflector and it's like, what is that? I mean, what was that? What is that? Like how, what? And one of the first, I remember that one of the things I was a little bit allergic to was, oh, I am a reflector. And sometimes that was kind of like a little bit in the environment. I personally don't think anybody is anything. Like, you you are not a mental projector. Come on. I mean, that would be sad. Same way it would be sad if I was a reflector. It's not me. You know, it's like... So that, that was the first thing I, w- I was, I was resistant in some way or another to that frequency. So I found the right, that made me also find the right people in a way. Like I was very close to Darmen and I'm still very close to Darmen who was basically the first one to ever kind of come in touch with it, I guess. I don't remember. So it's, it's the way that my body mind construct works and how it's energetic dynamics are described through a language like in a way, human design, it's like music notations. No, it's just, I don't know. They could have written it in a different way, I guess. Like, who knows? The whole point is to learn to play the frequency. And, and there's like, how am I going to do this? The, the, the most obvious for me was like, I was living in a relationship. So I started, fig- I started recognizing like, oh, wow, I am not emotionally defined. So... I'm sensitive and I'm receptive and I don't have to exaggerate all of that. So I started softening up somehow and I started becoming, learning to become more, more empathic in a way to, well, if my girlfriend had these principles, she was 1949. And, and if this, if this is really hurtful, then, then maybe I should get in touch with it and like, see, like, okay, you know, you can learn from that. And I, you know, and that came together actually with being initiated into Reiki. So already my heart started softening. And I was like, oh, okay, like, wow, I've been so on the defense and all of that stuff. I've been mainly in a fear position towards that consciousness. I don't even know what that consciousness is about, really. I'm exploring my whole life, probably, what emotional consciousness is about. I mean, I go to school everywhere, so... So the, the first things was this, and then this thing of taking a moon cycle and all that kind of stuff, it was not, I couldn't grasp it. I mean, it wasn't like, I couldn't do much with that. 
like I was kind of like people proposed me stuff and, and and then I was like a little bit categorical like you know do I have time to think it over no you kind of get to give the decision by next week or whatever and I would just say like no so that's not for me like that's the way I went about it back then I would never I mean now I don't live like that at all so the first thing went by like this the profile I found found also more easy to kind of explore a little bit so the first thing I started exploring was mainly centers profile and and still till today the aura dynamics of a reflector this kind of like sampling and resistant aura and and sometimes really open and then kind of like closed I still get from some of my best friends like the that are not necessarily so much into design but they you know or from my brother or my sister like they you know, you're so weird sometimes in the way that you, you, know, you open up and then you don't really give a closure to it and you don't really embrace it. And you, <laughs> so I'm kind of like much more at ease with it, but it's been a very long and sometimes arduous thing to accept like that. There was, it's, it's usually looked upon as weird. And at the same time, there's something in the resistancy that makes people not so easily initiate you. And, and like it's sometimes in, like it's quite a thing to get into, into resonance with, with that piece of information. And it was only years later. And when it was like two, three years, three years later or something that I got to a point where I was like, I want to get more out of this information. And then I contacted Darmen and I started really looking at the moon through the lunar cycle in in like okay when the moon is in the 39 and i have the 55 what does that do and what does that go and like like this not gate by gate and that that went on for quite a while and taking like a diary and all that stuff and i started really understanding and exploring energies from a different perspective and so it was interesting it opened up something new like a new dimension but at the same time, I was also intrigued by what Nisark said. Like Nisark was the other one. There was two people. It was Darmen, Nisark, and then in the beginning, there was the three of us, basically. Nisark is a 2-4, Darmen is a 1-3. So Darmen goes into detail and into depth and all that kind of stuff. And Nisark is kind of like more free-floating. And, and she was like, yeah, you know, like I, I took a month alone. And I checked that out. And, uh, and just to feel like well, that's some. So I did the same. At some point, I followed her advice. And I went up in the mountains and I, with a tent. And I stayed alone for a month. And I started just no, no studying, no nothing. Like I also had a little bit this thing that saying, this like, little voice in my head, like, how the hell would I, why the hell would I need a computer to wake up to myself? So that, that's just, you know. <laughs> So that, that, I did that for a while, for, and I, it was also very interesting. I learned a lot on that front. My God, oh Jesus. When I came down from that mountain, I, I was like, I had no idea I absorbed people that, like, I could reflect, like, get them in that much that they would stay for half an hour. And then, you know, wow, that was really, but now obviously I've been doing readings for quite a while. And I notice it every time, even through the internet, that the energies that I'm reading and stuff like that, it's like an experience doing a reading. So that piece of information was there. And then uh, disappointment was interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, what is disappointment? And what is it to me? And how does it color my mind? Like something I look into still today. 
Then also I came to a point that's like, especially when I was into the lunar cycle investigation and stuff is like making decisions. Like to me, it's a joke. Like I, it's like, how the hell did they get there? Like sometimes I wonder, like there's this voice that says no choice, said the voice. And then we're kind of like promoting this or, or teaching this as a correct way of taking decisions. So people immediately, when they think about taking decisions, they go into the, do I choose this? Do I choose that? Do I go here? Do I go there? Like, what's my decision? <laughs> so to me, it's like, nah, we don't take any decisions. We're surrendered. Like, you know, there, there is, that, that's just a given. It can help you to, it can help me to position myself, start seeing like, okay, there's a lot of stuff in design that, that belongs to the mundane that I kind of like have a, like sometimes I look at it as a joke. So yeah, I don't know. Like it's, the, it's, it's really, how do you, you learn to have your own experience of life is kind of like being an ongoing thing. Actually the discovery of variable and the variable experience here in Ibiza when Ra did it in 2008 or something was a turning point for me hmm. because the, it's so easy in human design to fall into I, mental identifications with what the mind conceives of as I'm a non-energy being. My mind has a whole story on that. So the, my mental story on being a non-energy being definitely changed when I found out that I was quite left, you know, it's not the same. My mind kind of like made up a story that turned it into some kind of laziness or something, but that's, that's really not who I am. You know, it's like my, my transference is innocence. So I get into mental spaces where I'm like not motivated and then my body goes passive or my environment is kitchens. And then I get into, oh, I don't care. I don't want to, it doesn't matter. So, you know, this kind of like what my mind made up of non-energy was like my worst enemy in a way. You know? <laughs> like sometimes I look at design and I think like it's a grace of the gods that we know this information. And then I look into Facebook and what is out there and all that kind of stuff. And I think, oh, wow, it's like, it's really like Chinese medicine. You know, there's like, there's like really high potent Chinese medicine and it can be turned into a poison in, in like with a click of a finger, you know, it's like design also has that potential, you know, design has this potential of like becoming a, an enormous reinforcement of one's mental defense system. I think I'm like, I feel at least I'm from a generation where like there, there was these old timers, you know, I mean, I call them old timers. It's not like they are, but Marianne Winnegar, Leela and Darman, um, Alok Anand, uh, Randy Richmond. I mean, kind of like an eclectic bunch. Some people had definitely roots in the whole sannyasin movement of Osho and they came into human design and, and then there was a generation just under that, I guess we are all from the same generation somehow, you know, like in our forties and those people, they had been living with Osho and doing, or in the sixties and they had been exploring like hell and they went through all kinds of whatever. And, and they came to it from that perspective. You know? and I think sometimes what attracts me is like, 
I would still love to see some kind of a laboratory coming into place, you know, where stuff is being explored from the psychological angle or from the body angle or because it's been enriching my personal process anyway. That's how human design became really interesting to me and awakening to me. It's by exploring it energetically, either by doing stuff or like doing meaning like being involved in therapy groups or, or energetic explorations or dancing like fuck. You know, if, if I'm standing in the middle of a dancing, I, I really, dis I can play with what this to, to sample, for example. Or, and then the relationships are very interesting to relate. You know, it's like, wow. And I remember like, you know, all these things, one of, one of the funny characters in design back in the Ibiza days, like was Mal Brittain, you know, he's a very good musician and he was always playing music on the beach and all kind of stuff. He had a band and one day he was in an Ibiza event and he was talking to, uh, I think it was Andrea Reichelwolf. And he's standing there and he's, he's non-emotional, you know, so he's like, He's saying like, uh, yeah, well, you know, take care because your, your configuration can really fuck me up, which is kind of like <laughs> potentially true, but not necessarily true. There's not been that many exploration of dynamics from my perspective, but that's just my perspective. I can really relate to what you're saying in that human design is like a language and the words and the descriptions that have been chosen for it were a best attempt at making that as clear as possible. But I feel similarly that it, it doesn't mean much as a mental labeling exercise, which is what it becomes for a lot of people. Yeah. So then what does it mean to actually find out what disappointment is to you or what being an open emotional being means, what that actual experience is. So I think that's something John and I have both been very focused on and curious about too, this research side of it. And part of why we were excited to bring people or get to hear from people who we could tell are really living this in their own way and in their own experience to be able to hear different flavors, what this whole experiment actually means for you as an individual. I mean, like I, like I said, the labels don't mean anything. I mean, they're just music notations you know it's like nobody plays i don't know in america it's an a or a b or a c you know nobody plays an a or a b the same like it depends even on the on the instrument that you're playing it with it's like every there is no like this more i don't know i scroll to through facebook sometimes and i see this like this morning i saw something about uh, does anybody else see another three five who is like i don't know what and it's like oh my god like really it's it's not about trying to make any generalizations at all like there is no two reflectors the same i can guarantee you that like mm -hmm. so yeah this is um i think there is a lot of room still for exploration outside of the box that exists today around design and i'm not saying it's a good box or a bad box it's just it is a box there is there's something okay there is an online university or there are certain individuals like a lock who have an incredible depth and and they're good at what they do and they provide something that is reliable and and that is close to the source and and all that kind of stuff but at the same time like 
there is still a lot of space for setting up you know exploratory things or more more like communicating things or learning like bioenergetic stuff that allows you to really see what all of that stuff means and how it turns out like not so long ago i was in a course with darmen on reflectors and then there was a fact of having a first tone you know, so tone first tone smell and i remember it because when Ra did my phs reading it was also kind of like making a hint into the direction of like nose breathing nose breathing and it's like yeah like I definitely pay much more attention to what I pick up through my smell. But not so long ago, I started Pilates. And Pilates is basically based on nose breathing. And then you go into nose breathing that has to do with your diaphragm and how your muscles are and how your posture is. And how it's like, oh, oh my God, nose breathing goes deep. Like, you know, it's like there's a whole world connected to nose breathing. So what does that even mean when you mention nose breathing? You know, is that just, what does that mean? So it's, all, those things are really all here to be explored. You know? And sometimes I find also that I have, I can recognize, like, I get into certain fears over rejection. Yeah, I don't have a 49 and I have a 19. Like, okay. I have a totally open ego and I have no 51. So I struggle with myself and I have a melancholy over insignificance and, yeah, okay, all of that stuff, it's great to know that it's my conditioning, but knowing it doesn't necessarily allow me to look at it and distance that I can disidentify from it. And sometimes, like at least there have been certain therapeutic dynamics that have helped me way more in that stuff, even though I knew that it was there. And, and it's like, okay, thank you. And now I get to see deeper and then I get to see more and I'm constantly seeing stuff at least my disidentification from my fear of rejection, I've seen in my own process that I needed help from coming from other directions. And the other day I did a reading for a woman who was in therapy for 10 years over you know, her dead husband or whatever it was. And, and then all of a sudden we pull up, pull up the chart of the husband and we start talking about that. And then she's like, oh my God, in, in 10 years of therapy, nobody ever gave me that kind of clarity mm. and it was a breakthrough from that direction. So, you know, I think there is still a lot of cross feeding that is possible that can enrich both design as well as, you know, whatever else is out there. Mm. I understand that it didn't happen as long as Ra was alive because there was obviously an enormous pressure on him to bring out an enormous amount of information and he did it the way he did it, which was great. You know, I also think that we can benefit from a bit of humility here and there and, and, and open up to other ways of looking and, and learning to enrich each other, from mm -hmm. my perspective. Seems like a lot of what we're looking at here is this idea that the map is not the territory, that there's yeah. that all, all of the language, all of the concepts, the, the things that are taught as part of the system aren't actually the thing, but that there's another experience to be had, pointing us towards something. Maybe it's a, a type of experience or an alignment with a certain frequency or orientation to life. But as you're saying, it's so easy for us to take this in through the head and then to stay stuck in that place or to keep filtering things through that place. And for me personally, what happens is 
periodically I'll, I'll be looking at something, thinking about something, and then realizing that what human design is pointing to or what, whatever it is I'm considering is pointing to is actually the thing that's happening. It's just describing an experience or something that's happening that goes beyond just the, the mental construct or perspective I have. And I'm always surprised by that. It's like, oh, this is actually just what's going on, kind of going back to your point earlier about surrender or you know, the, the choicelessness aspect of this. It's just like, oh, this is just happening. And everything plays itself out on the surface in the end. Like that's what I also noticed that you can have an enormous depth in design, but still everything in your daily life plays out on the surface. And there it's sometimes helpful. Like, you know, I feel if I feel certain kind of resistance and I know like, oh, you know, I'm open emotionally. It's like, let me see if there's a fear there. And then it's like, oh yeah, there's a fear there. And then things change, but it, to me, it's like at least it's the, the nine-centered perspective is very practical and daily in, in daily use, in so to speak, and in relation with others. And motivation is really something that is helpful to me because I, I recognize when I'm really caught in transference. So yeah, the, you know, strategy and authority, obviously, it's like. Yeah, you know, it became almost like I don't even know what that means anymore. I live like that. Uh, it's like, okay, just see what comes. Mm -hmm. Who initiates me? What's being thrown at me? Does it stick? Does it not stick? Like, I don't think much about this. And sometimes I'm really surprised. Like, um, I should answer an email. I just don't answer. I don't engage. I just don't engage. Like, okay, I accept it for what it is. At the risk of going into to the weeds too much here, you're motivation is desire yeah and your transference is innocence and you have your son in gate 25 mm -hmm. this is something that i actually saw working with a client the other day a similar configuration i'd be very interested to hear what your experience of that son in gate 25 and then having your transference is innocence the gate 25 is is the spirit that everything is love when I touch upon that frequency, it's incredible. Everything is love, like, okay, everything is love. How, how, how can I embrace that? Okay, I have two times the 55 also. So, you know, do I have the spirit emotionally to find the, like, the equanimity inside to, to see that? Like, you know, okay. But transference is related to tone and color, you know? So transference innocence basically is about emotionality. You know, the, the, there is there's feeling, and then there is what is well, anyway. Five and six, they are they're belonging to the to the solar plexus. Correct. And and it's like okay, to me it's just like I'm not in touch with myself. I'm just not in touch with myself. I'm, I don't. I'm not motivated at all. It's like it's as if I would be sitting on a horse, and desire means that I have the reins in my hand, and transference means that I'm just like woo whatever. I'm letting this horse go, and I'm not holding any reins, and I don't give a fuck. And when I'm like that. I can know deep down mentally because I had the experience that life is love, but it translates into vanity instead of a gift to be in awe and to be humbled by turns into vanity. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know that life is love and whatever. Ah, that's also love. You know, they're killing each other over there. Like that, obviously it's love. Like, yeah, I know I've been there. I know what it is. Yeah, like, <laughs> really. So that's a little bit what it translates. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I see what you're pointing at. Yeah. You had mentioned, you were talking about relationship and it sounds like relationship mechanics and dynamics have been a big part of your exploration. And then you also mentioned something about what you're able to sense or pick up on even through the internet or even through online communication and interaction, which I, I notice as well, even though there's so much emphasis in human design on in aura and, and how we affect each other that way. I'm curious about how you, how you experience the exchange of doing a reading of actually looking at someone's design with them, what that exchange is like for you or what's meaningful about it to you or what you enjoy about it. I mean, one of the things that I really enjoyed about my process is that I, I have been really opportunistic. I'm a four, six. And in terms of doing readings, I saw that it was just not possible to, yeah, I had to get myself out there a little bit, obviously, you know, I remember I, I set up a website once, or I don't know, people knew I was interested in design or anyway, it's like there was a possibility to reach out. And only through that kind of dynamic, every reading is a, a reading for me. Like, I don't do reading for other people. <laughs> I'm an opportunist. I read for myself. I externalize through the opportunity that the client is bringing something about my outer authority. And then I recognize how all of that is actually always in a certain synchronicity. That's why it's always been surprising work to me. It's like, wow, you know, like if I just, if it just comes like that, then in some way or another, it's there's synchronicity. I'm in a certain stage where I experience certain things that now I can externalize and I look at the design of this person and there it is. And the other person goes like, wow, wow, that's great. That really, like there's certain level of synchronicity, at least that makes the experience interesting for me, which is what is most important in a way. And when I do readings, I've been really surprised to see, like, I mean, you also, you are a mental projector, so I guess there's, there must be some kind of similarity, but I don't need to do any effort to talk about an energy the moment I open my mouth, like it's just being on a, on a ride. Like I'm already filtering this person through my own tendencies as a reflector, but all of the energies of the other, they're coming in. So, you know, it's like somebody comes to a reading who has an organized mind and is very detailed and logical. And all of a sudden I start speaking in certain ways and this and that and the other, and somebody's there with an abstract mind and it's like, wow, you know, I'm going off on some kind of story about I don't know what and and it all makes like it's fun like I enjoy the experience of those things so definitely readings yeah they're interesting if people don't really recognize that they're sitting in front of a reflector they don't recognize it they, they, they they're not really aware that that at the moment they're gone I'm not like that they cannot even imagine so they, they, they're like, well, he, that must be his natural him. Like, no, you know, I'm never consistently that imaginary or that logical or so straightforward or so laid back or so sensitive or, you know, no, never. So they don't realize this, which if they did, it would be more fun for them. But <laughs> that could come on a later stage, I guess. And then when it comes to then when it comes to like personal relationships and love relationships and all that kind of stuff, I mean, 
always like I don't know. It sounds a little bit like like a, as if I'm like complaining, but an existential complaint. Nine times out of ten, no, nine times like no, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, there is compromise or dominion, and okay, can be challenging. I learned a lot about energies through other people and how you know they are consistently anchored in them and what it does to them and and all that kind of stuff. And I enjoy also different exchanges like. I don't know. It's definitely something completely different to have a girlfriend who is a manifesting generator, or a girlfriend who is like a, you know, a projector. Like it's a totally different universe. Or a manifester. Like wow. So it's fun. Like it made me see people more. Makes me see more people for who they are. Like at that level, I learned to to love my brother more for who he is, and my sister more, and my parents more. And it doesn't mean I don't get entangled with them anymore. Of course not. Like I absolutely get entangled, and I can still be totally overwhelmed emotionally in a relationship. Or it, you know, it's like. All those dynamics, they are at least for me, they are still somehow there. I don't get lost in them the way I used to get lost in them, or at least I see them, and before I didn't, and all that kind of stuff. So more interesting. The other day, I was speaking with a woman who was a generator and who 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 had lost somebody who was a projector, and for a long time, she said like people thought actually that that in some way or another I was mourning. Because I lost this person, and she was saying, like, actually, the truth is that I I couldn't get over the bitterness towards this person. Mm. And it's like, yeah, sometimes I also had this, like, in relations with projectors, how how bitter it could have made me, and why am I holding on to that? And what is this? Like, am I just missing them somehow in some way or another, and I just hold on to that aspect or something? I don't know. Sometimes these dynamics they take their time to re- like then you know then they reveal themselves and it's like oh, okay that's the one of the beauties also of design no it's like it's a it's like yeah yeah it says a lot of stuff to you but the revelation is yours you know yes it reveals itself to you it doesn't matter whether you understand it or not I thought I understand I understood stuff but I didn't understand anything when it revealed itself you know? and then it's like oh yeah. That's kind of like what you were saying earlier, John, and that that sort of map territory thing. It sounds like, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can, you can look at the picture a thousand times, but until you're standing there yourself, you know, it hits you in your body. You don't know what that is, and you don't necessarily know when that moment of revelation is going to come. It just it just hits. I mean, I, I feel like I've had that experience so many times with design, where it's like. Yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I can explain it all. I can, I can repeat the thing. I can see the whole picture. I can describe the whole picture. But then when the experience of it actually hits my body, it's like, whoa, yeah. wow, that's what I, that is. I, I love Osho. Like I really, really, like it's a person or a consciousness basically because there ain't much of a person <laughs> left. But that really touched me like very deeply in my heart. When you enter his samadhi, there is something written on the wall from him that says, like, I am just a finger pointing to the moon, and you are to be looking at the moon, you know, to be in the experience of be looking at the moon. 
And then he says something that is like, that really touched me. And, and he says like, and I'm deeply sorry because I'm not a person that is so easily forgettable. <laughs> and, you know, he was somebody that took the door of the heart more than the door of the mind. Like now human design is the door of the mind. And it's like, it's understanding. But to let all of that understanding go and be really is quite a jump. Like it's something that surprised me, honestly, in the last courses that I did with Ra, like I was, I was by accident, I was in the course that he did in, uh, in Barcelona and then in Madrid in the months before his passing. And then a little bit before that, he was doing a course on Bardo and, and dead dying in Bardo here in Ibiza. These courses, there was not so many people and stuff. And, and I was really surprised, A, by the enthusiasm that he was giving these courses that were, that were very initiatory courses. So he was still standing with the same enthusiasm and the, and the same childlikeness in front of these people and, you know, explaining design and all kind of stuff. And I was also kind of surprised by how he would kind of mess up a gate or, or a line or like, what was that again? Like, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, whatever, like 40, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like wow, you know, it, it's beautiful to Marianne also had, like also read something about her not so long ago or Darmen also, they, they forgot the numbers, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> a good, good thing. It is, I found it interesting what you were saying about when you do sessions with people that you're doing them primarily for yourself. You had made reference to your 4-6 profile. The question that came up for me was, is it kind of tying the profile into the type signature? Are these readings and these sessions, would you say that they're an opportunity to be surprised by the experience? that you're having with the other, is there that element of surprise in it for you? Or how do you experience that? Well, I think surprise is, is, is trying to describe a state of being. You're two, four, no? Correct, yeah. So your personal destiny. So there, there is nothing that you do for anybody. And, and this is really liberating. Like I remember one day I was breaking up with a girlfriend. It, it was a relationship that in many le on many levels was very dear to me. But at the same time was this kind of relationship where, okay, you're the one who's going to break up. So you know already like, okay, I'm going to break up and the other one is coming. It's going to come as a surprise no? and, and probably not a nice one. And I had already gone through heartbreaks and stuff like that. So I, I kind of like thought like, well, you know, Maybe if I do it in a certain setting, it would be better for her. And, you know, and then uh, she would more be benefit from this. And if I do it like, so I'm doing all this shit for her. And then uh, one day I was talking to Darmen and Darmen is like, Darmen is a one three reflector who is basically authoritarian. He's like, hey, white boy no man like you are personal destiny you know all of that stuff you're doing it for you like either it's your fear or your this or your that but there ain't nothing that you're doing for her you know so that really set things straight in a way it was like 
Oh, yeah. Like, I don't see her if I think I'm doing it for her. If I see me, then I see her. But this is one of the things that is been so enriching about knowing the difference between personal destiny and transpersonal destiny. And I'm very transpersonal. I'm totally open and I got a four and a six in my profile. Like, you know, I can get really lost in another. But to know that everybody is an opportunity in life to externalize something too, that's like, like it liberates me in a way. It enriches my life. It enriches my experiences and it enriches the readings. It's, it, it's like I'm listening to myself when I'm doing a reading. I'm not there engaged with the, like lost in the other. I'm listening to myself. And I'm kind of like afterwards reflecting on like, why is all of that stuff coming out of my mouth for my life right now? Like it's more interesting for me. It's obviously sets up the client on their own investigation. Like it's a door into, into some exploration eventually for the other two. I mean, they wouldn't be there if not. But I think that that's something to really pay attention to. What do you see in others or how would you describe it when you're looking at the transpersonal? Transpersonal designs. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to understand the difference. Mm -hmm. to have a feel for it. I could not put myself in their place. It's like, I found that one of the most difficult things to contemplate, to go like, what? Yeah. There is a level of, I don't know if it's, well, I don't know, these words are always difficult, no, but it seems like there is a, there is a certain genuine empathy towards the other that I find really touching. And that I know that I don't have. Yeah, it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. So are you saying it's almost like a, the difference between a, a self-orientation and an other orientation between the left and the right profiles? as a kind mm -hmm. of a fundamental? Like I can see in my family, for example, my mom is the only transpersonal one and she really, I know that she suffers in some way or another from the fact that it seems that everybody else, the other four of us, my dad and the three kids, we all look at our navel. <laughs> and my mom is like, you know, what the hell is this? Why don't you, you know, look across the... The situation, like you know, the, to the other, really. Like I, I think that the my feeling, at least, is that profile is a very uh, profound piece of information. You know, it's like the clothes that we wear, the energetic clothes that we wear. The way you're describing it is connecting with something for me. Something you said earlier about. It's kind of funny that as we're talking about human design, we talk about this decision-making process as if that's something we're, we're doing. And I think probably a lot of people, if they've gone deep into this experiment, would say it actually becomes something where you're actually just watching. You're watching the, the choices and the decisions unfold. It doesn't actually feel like I'm doing this. As you're talking about this, the transpersonal side, I think that's part of how I experience it as well. It's almost like a double surrender it feels like another le level of surrender where 
almost no matter what I'm doing, it's, it's never really about me. It's, it's just never about me. So it's, it's almost another way of just seeing, oh, this is the next thing for me to meet. (laughs) Or like, this is the next thing for me to serve, or this is the next thing for me to, to take in and, and then work with. And somehow it doesn't feel like any of it is my choice. Sort of doubly, it's not my choice, you know, and it's, and it's not about me. That's how I experience it. Like this whole thing about no choice and, and how crystal clear that came out of that experience for Rauruhu. There ain't no choice. And it's like, it's like the whole thing about the, 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 the ego center and the heart center. And they have, like, they have two names for the same center. I mean, Nisargadatta, for example, said in his book, uh, you, I am that. He said that the I comes out of the heart, like and that's where it dissolves. It is a very tricky thing to say that it's about decision making because we have such an identification with it's my decision. And it's, it's like I decide and my decision is like, no, you know, no, there is no decision making really. You know, this is all about seeing how you fly through space and time like that's what it is about yeah. and, and how to stay in touch with your flight through space and time mm-hmm. i really hope that there is more laboratory laboratoriness coming into play more mystery school coming into play again because there is a lot of stuff that is like I think that my, my, my feeling is that there's a lot of people and I include myself in there for quite a chunk of my, my exploration process is that there is a lot of people that take this thing that says experiment with your design that take it as if again they have to prove that it works but it's been proven by the best prover that has ever been there. Like, you know, if it, was, if it came to proving and you have like raw 11 first lines and an, and an ego, you're really good at that job. So that job is already done. It's been proven. So this experimentation has nothing to do with, you see, it's because of my open ego. Oh, you see, it's because I have that. Like, no, we're not interested in that anymore. That ain't interesting. I'm not interested in you know you proving to me again something on that level that, that's been there, done that, boring. It's like human design is based on juxtaposition. So human design basically says in layman's terms, life is relating. If we are not more pointing towards how to learn to relate and address and acknowledge each other's uniqueness and to make that a life and to have empathy for that and to rejoice in our own and see the difference in another and appreciate all that stuff. And da, 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 da. if we don't get there and move away from, you know, I'm a three, five and how many, and all projectors are, and you know, can you tell me like, Jesus Christ, how boring. So it's really about that. It needs to go into a direction that is dynamic and exploratory on the relational front, on like really learning to 
put that out, like, you know, learn to live with each other from that perspective. That's my feeling. With the changes that we're experiencing in the world in the context of, you could say, 2027 or the global cycle changes, I'm seeing a lot of different ways of relating, relationship happening. And there does appear to be this kind of movement back to, I guess, the individual or, or the respect for the individual differences and away from this one size fits all, more homogenized approach to doing everything really, but certainly relating. It feels like that's the direction that we're kind of being pushed along or we're, we're moving into regardless of whether we have anything to say about it or not. Yeah, I mean, at least that's a different, that's like a, an interesting aspect of that direction. Like one of the things that I've been amusing myself with in, the, in this whole lockdown period was um, I started writing a theater play and making masks, like plaster masks. And then I had my phone and I, and I, and I started playing the Godheads. Because basically 2027 is a change of the four godheads that have been holding the vessel for 1,640 years are giving it over to other godheads that are going to carry the vessel for 1,640 years and the same with the Sphinx. So it's, it's not only a movement in crosses, it's also a movement in some way or another in consciousness fields, like because the godheads at the same time are like there is a correlation between the godheads and the variables and then we're talking about consciousness fields as such that have been anthropomorphized because there is a correlation within the, uh, like there is an amino acid correlation. So basically they are expressions of our genes in terms of consciousness fields and these consciousness fields, they are changing And when it comes to the vessel, what is very clear is that there is really a movement from collectivity, togetherness, support, you know, consciousness, expansion of consciousness, a lot of expansion of consciousness, you know, like Mitra is expansion of consciousness, uh, Harmonia is expansion of consciousness, um, what's her name there, Lakshmi is expansion of consciousness, and Prometheus, like they're all really collective gates, it's pretty, there's a lot of collectivity going on, expansion going on, tribal stuff going on, and all kinds of stuff, and we're really moving into, on the vessel front, into into godheads that are like anthropomorphic, mythologically speaking, like we're talking about Hades, which is really individual, Maya, which is really individual, like, you know, even mythologically in the temples of Maya, there was no guy allowed. So it's like, fuck off. And then we have, you know, Kali, which is basically, uh, like, there's a lot of mythological expression from Kali that has to do with death and rebirth and, and, and fierceness in standing up for shedding all of the past. And then you have thought that also goes into similar directions in a way in terms of, you know, how relationships are profoundly changing and potentially becoming much more feminist. All of the posts, like all all these planets also that have been discovered behind Pluto, all the, the dwarf planets and all the female names and all that kind of stuff like 
that's clear when it comes to the vessel. Now, when it comes to the Sphinx, which moves, like, which basically talks about direction and stuff, we're moving into godheads that are potentially incredibly totalitarian. You know, like uh, Michael and Janus and, Parf- uh, sorry, uh, Michael and uh, what's his name there? Uh, one of these Hindu gods, the, like the god of everything, basically. Anyway, and uh, Parvati and Christ, like these consciousness fields, they are potentially dictatorial and one fits all and so there is something that I'm still looking at and kind of like have like I think in the beginning when I heard in design we're moving into an era of individuality I was like yeah great like you know it's finally gonna happen or something like this and now sometimes I start thinking like hmm Maybe an era of individuality comes together with an era where there is a lot of an, an enormous amount of homogenization going on. Like it's so like the, the evolution of AI and all that kind of stuff is basically getting into a, in, into a place that if there ain't consciousness, something else is thinking for you and you're not an individual anymore. Already nowadays, like algorithms and stuff like that, they're thinking for us. So getting in, like, that's already there. And if that's already there, then yes, consciousness as such, awakening as such, is going beyond thought. And it's going deeply into emotional consciousness and and feeling each other and, and you know, how all of that is going to move and how that's going to go, I don't know. Yeah we're already seeing it like you're saying whether it's the algorithms or you're looking at just the social changes that are being put in place or the different governments are doing i guess so far yeah we've been going through months of covid but there hasn't been so much turmoil on well actually there have been a lot of fires but climatologically it's still kind of quiet. Is it a quiet before the storm? Most likely. And what happens then? We don't, re- we really don't know anymore. So I don't know because Ra was sometimes saying like, oh, you know, let's see how long the internet lasts and we're going to be shot back into some kind of like dark middle ages and all that kind of stuff. Maybe, but so far I ain't seeing it. I mean, it's definitely very interesting times. No? It's like this whole thing that is taking place now in Capricorn, you know, this, uh, 60th gate, 61st gate, 50, 50, what is it, 54th gate, like there, you know, that stuff there. 60, 61, 1941, they're all keepers of the wheel gates. Basically, what is crumbling down is the big structures that have upheld everything behind the scenes. And then also all the stuff that is there in terms of like the hidden hand in Kermit, you know. Uh, like the guy is moving and we're all identified with Kermit, but there is a hand behind him that made him move. The crumbling down or the becoming visible of that invisible hand is something that is taking place right now. Right. I mean, that's what the keepers of the keys are about. If you put Pluto there and you're going to dig up shit and you're going to do it magnified through Jupiter and you're in conjunction for a whole while, it's like, okay, like there is not only 
shit hitting the fan, then there's also stuff going on that makes people go like, yeah, wait a second, but you know, what is this about really? And then there's this, this movement that has been taking place. Like the whole Neptunian situation has been influencing our financial structures for a long time. No, Ra started talking about this when, when Neptune was in the 49. So Neptune went into, what else did it go into after the 49? I don't even remember anymore. Then it goes into the 30 and then it goes into the 55 and then it goes into the, what is it then after the 55, 37? And then it goes into the 22, no, into the 63. And every time there's been misinformation on misinformation about those teams. Right. You know, we're going to solve you by pointing you into that direction. We're going to save you economically by you know, creating like doubts over this. And now, now it's all misinformation about, you know, who's worth listening to. Jesus Christ. Like that people have never been so confused on, on who am I listening? Who should I listen to and all this stuff? Yeah, exactly. Some people say, like, let's, let's listen to Fauci. And then other people say, like, no, Fauci is I don't know what. And then li listen to Trump and then listen to, no, let's listen to I don't know whom. And, and it's been going on since this whole, since Neptune hit the 22nd gate. And then this over and over and over and over again in the head, like the 6124, like, my God, I, I've dated people with that channel. Like, I was going bananas. <laughs> Over going over the same song over and over and now, now like what is going on? What's going on? Who knows what? Who knows nothing? Who knows nothing? Nothing from where? From what? Nah, 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 nah. Like this is like constantly taking place, no? And then these deep limitations that are there. So it's it's weird times. Do you feel a a particular relationship with the program and with the planetary transit that that goes beyond just what everyone is? You know, we're, we're all bathing in. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I really feel like, oh, yeah. The nodes, a lot. Mm. I don't like second line days also, for example. I don't know why, but I don't like them. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's not that I don't like them. It's just like on second line days, sometimes I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> no, I mean... Just an observation, but the notes, yes, I feel them. I feel them sometimes. I, I can almost feel them change in traffic sometimes. But it's not like it changes me more. Like, it's not like it changes me, but it's like the same weather for a while. Yeah, you're going you're gonna, to, you know, adjust to the same weather for a while. Like, for example, I don't look at the moon anymore on a on a daily basis or so what gate is the moon right now or stuff like that. I no, I, I don't do that anymore, but, or if something happens, I'm like, where, where's the moon, right? I'm like, well, let's have a look where the moon is. You know, it's like, oh, okay, it's there. It's just funny to see, like, like it's funny, you know, the moon is in the 19th gate right now. Mm -hmm. And I have the 19th gate. So there is a certain pressure to, like I can at least feel the pressure to reach out or the pressure to connect and, and uh, like something going, like I have the 19 in the third line, you know, it's like uh, if I feel that there is a certain acceptance and embrace on the other side, then, then there's like, oh, I you know, maybe I make friends or maybe there is something. 
Now, maybe there is resources in some way or another on a human level to connect in a certain way. And it, I feel it pushes. If I see it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what's been going on here. Yeah, I think back to years ago, just being so immersed in astrology and the, the transit program through astrology. Mm. And, I, and I still see this to some degree with some of my close astrologer friends, but I used to go into experiences looking at like, okay, this transit is coming. This is going to do this. And in other words, I would kind of lead in through the transits or through awareness of where the planets were. And at some point that shifted and it, and it kind of flipped to the other side of things where I'd be having an experience. Then I'd notice something and be like, wow, I am pretty wound up. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> agitated. This is unusual or it's not the normal pattern. And then I'd go and I'd see that Mars is sitting on my ascendant or something like that, or yeah. it's, you know, it's activating something. And so it becomes something that I can be kind of helpful in putting something into perspective and in hindsight, but to stop short of living my life through the program or through the transit field, thinking that, you know, just because this is coming in, it's something that I have to experience or, it, you know, it gets into that almost like the, the quantum observer type of thing. You start changing your experience by putting your attention on it. Do you? But must be very interesting to have a background in uh, astrology. No? Yeah, it, it's, I mean, that's what I came in through. And so, you know, it's, it's always there in the background, but, you know, I've kind of since encountering human design, my orientation has kind of shifted more into to design. Yeah, of course. But, yeah. Still. but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, funny, huh? like I noticed, for example, that after about an hour and a half, and that's why my readings are about an hour and a half, my aura closes. It's funny. It's just, I feel like, so that was it then. No? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's something to come to, like sometimes I find it strange like that it happens. <laughs> like I can be in social settings and then I can feel it after five minutes, I'm done here, you know? It's like, wow. That's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Then I'm always looking like, who's saying bye-bye here? And then I jump on them. It's like, I'm off with them. <laughs> yeah. It's strange. It, it, it's funny to see that there is like different auric mechanisms to people. No? Like I, I, I wasn't aware of that. And how embracing and enveloping generators are. My God, it's incredible. And how focused and absorbing projectors are. I mean, my, my, like, sometimes I look at projectors and, and I've been deeply involved in, in, in projectors and very young projectors. Uh, I was always incredibly surprised how much they absorb, like, you can wear another person in your face physically. They're there. I can see that you spend the weekend with them. You cannot lie. You know, it's like that person is there. And, and it's like, wow. Um, and then when they hang out with me, sometimes I have the feeling I had a projector boss for a while. And he was like, Oh yeah, now I now I got him. Now I know who he is. Like yeah, I know who Dirk is. And then that's like the moment he, you know, he thought he had his focus. I was gone from there. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's funny to see sometimes projectors that it's like their focus on a reflector is sometimes in vain, you know? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I can see that. Well, thank you for sharing yeah, thank you so too. much of your experience with us. I thought maybe we could end if you could let, because I'm imagining there may, may be people who would like to be able to reach out to you. Are you open to that? Or yeah, yeah, what no. is it that you still do these days? You do, you do readings? Do you teach classes? What's your... What's so your I do readings. Uh, they last an hour and a half, and that's on Zoom. And then I also do uh, sometimes, like, I've done quite some coaching sessions, like three coaching sessions. Like mm-hmm. to really go into what I see and how I like on a person's design. And that's in three sessions. And then I'm not teaching, doing any analyst training and stuff like that. I can certify people in, what is it again? ABC and cartography, like basic stuff, mm-hmm. which I enjoy. And sometimes I do. And then I'm working with a friend of mine, and seeing to build something a little bit more exploratory. I like to go through the quarters, for example, and I like to look at the quarters as um, educational stages and, and see like, okay, so this is how we develop. We can't have a healthy ego and a healthy mind if we avoid confrontation and truth. That's the same for everybody. You know, all these emotional gates, they, they are there before there is the formation of the 2551. Like, if I would look at the, the design of John, it's like, okay, man, like, your theme is emotions for sure. You can never have a healthy 2551 if you're not okay with, if you're not in line with your emotional stuff. It's not possible. So all these things, I find them very interesting. And I find it very interesting, for example, like the, how the quarters help us to find our purpose in life, like how we realize we're all here to observe the mind, so to speak. But initiation is through mind and then, you know, civilization is through the body. How is the intelligence of the body, you know, bypassing mind is expressing itself and then you know, in duality, it's basically observing projection feels like it's through bonding. If I say my girlfriend is a bitch, there must be some bitch inside of me in order to see my girlfriend as a bitch. Like, so all these things I find very interesting. And I think that there is like very general education that is there for everybody that can be explored through emotional dynamics, meditation dynamics, energetic dynamics, all kinds of stuff. And each quarter, creativity, whatever, dancing, you know, there's music for each quarter in a way. So all of these things, I find them very interesting. And then to theater, I love, you know, how that applies to a person's design, that kind of an exploration. If anybody is out there willing to sit together in a, and create a laboratory and do that together, I would be the happiest reflector on earth. Like, I think that would be really interesting. So I'm open to all of that stuff. Yeah. And I have a website so they can come there. It's called DirkNellens.com. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been really rich and, and beautiful just to get to be with your frequency. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Be well. Good luck out there. Yeah, thank you guys. Take care. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you. Bye.
thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. For more information about us and to connect with others on this experimental journey, please visit us at humandesigncollective.com. You can also learn more by exploring our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast, courtesy of Role Model. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the same channel.